0: Good morning. Good morning, Uh, thank you all so much for coming. This is our third disaster council meeting of the year. And uh, my name is Ann Cronenberg. I appreciate all of you for attending. I'm director of emergency management. I'm going to turn this over to Jason Elliott, who is Mayor Farrell's chief of staff for opening remarks.
1: Hello, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all again. Uh, I I was just reminded by these lovely talking points that were put in front of me, thank you for writing those, that it's been a, a, one quarter since we convened in this forum and I was just looking at everything that's happened here um, between the the thwarted Pier 39 shooter and the fires in the North Bay and um, the flooding in, in Texas and in all of the other places. Uh, so much has happened and it feels like it's been months and months and months and months, but what an eventful few months and I think probably nothing more eventful, (coughs) excuse me, for uh, me personally and for us here in City Hall than, of course, uh, when we lost Mayor Lee. And, uh, you know, that was such a a tragedy and we try to remember him every day as many ways and as many times as we can, so I'll just uh, invoke his name one more time here because, uh, as you all knew, you've worked with him for years and, in some cases, decades. Uh, emergency preparedness was um, probably the issue that was nearest and dearest to his heart in all of the ways that uh, we mean emergency preparedness, um, whether it means through the first responders and public safety uh, people, whether it means through preparing uh, with resiliency uh, for the e- resi- economic resiliency, physical resiliency of buildings and everything that that means. So um, to Mayor Lee, you know we continue the work uh, in, in his name certainly uh, every day, but it just feels that this has all happened in the last quarter. I mean, my God, how much, how, how different the city is and how different the country is in the last, uh, just in the last uh, three months uh, and every, and all of these natural disasters that have happened and, and man made disasters and terrorism. And I'll just, I, I won't spend too much more time, but I do want to tell this group that, um, you know, when Mayor Lee died, it was a Monday, mor- uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning. Uh, Mayor London Breed became mayor uh, then everything happened there and Mark Farrell then became mayor and in both cases when Mayor Breed was first in office and uh, when Mayor Farrell was first in office the very first meeting that we took each of them to respectively uh, was a was a briefing at DEM with police leadership, sheriff leadership, DPH, uh, DEM, and all, all of the first responder public safety departments because we in the mayor's office feel that it's the um, the primary responsibility of the mayor of San Francisco to be prepared for any disaster that comes, uh, whether it's an earthquake or whether it's terrorism or whether it's rain or heat or cold or whatever it is that faces us. Um, it, is, it is the primary responsibility of the mayor of San Francisco to be prepared for that and to understand his or her powers and responsibilities in that moment. So I think as simply as a, as a symbol, but an important symbol of how uh, incredibly important this work is, is the fact that we as a mayor's staff, when we put the mayor's calendar in front of him or her on his or her very first day in office, said this is what we need you to be focusing on first. Uh, This is your primary responsibility. So I'll just leave it uh, at that, and and, uh, we can continue uh, with the agenda. And thanks very much for coming today.
0: Thank you so much, Jason. There has been a lot that's happened in the last three months and we are gonna be hearing about it in more detail today. Been trying to keep these meetings very tight and compact, so I'll have you out of here in an hour. Um, But we have our first responders who actually responded to the North Bay fires are gonna give us a presentation today. Um, So many things have happened. To just echo what, what Jason said, we all miss Mayor Lee, amazingly uh, every day, and I felt like in my position I was a very lucky department head because, in fact, he did understand emergency management. He came from within city government. He ran... um, uh, the lifelines Council he understood the interdependencies and so on behalf of of Mayor Lee and all of us in this room who live and work disasters every day you know I want to commit to continuing to make San Francisco a very resilient city and um, thank you again all for being here I'm going to turn the mic over to um, Mike Dayton, my deputy director, who is going to walk us through what we have done in the last three months and give us a, an overview of the next three until our next disaster council meeting. All right.
2: Well, thank you, Ann, um, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. We'd like to begin with the report on our emergency planning efforts. So obviously big ticket uh, items that we have underway with emergency planning is the update to our earthquake annex. We're also uh, pretty far along with our disaster debris management plan. I mean, both of these are, uh, you know, critically important, especially after the North Bay fires, uh, you know, and the experiences they had with uh, debris removal. So Lisa Starlipper is our manager for emergency planning, so she's going to begin give an overview of the emergency plans and then also a presentation on the access and functional needs coordination working group. Lisa?
3: Great, thank you, Mike. So uh, just before I get started, if you have a question or you're gonna be commenting later on in today's session, just please use the microphone because the session is being recorded even if everybody can hear you in the room. So I just wanna make that. So as Mike mentioned, a lot of the updates regarding our emergency planning is in the meeting report, so you can read that on your leisure, but like he said, We're right now conducting earthquake workshops, so we're getting together with our partners and having them vet the earthquake plan. Our disaster debris plan is well along. We should have a draft ready to go up to FEMA probably in the next couple months. And then next up for us is a review of our emergency response plan and a review of all the emergency support function annexes that go along with that plan. So with the presentation, one of the things DEM does uh, in close partnership with the Mayor's Office on Disability is we have convened a Disability and Access and Functional Needs work group. This work group meets every other month. We just had a meeting on last Friday. And on the slide here, we have some listed some of the partners that we're engaged with, city partners, but I also wanted to share with you some of the community partners that have recently joined our work group. So we have representation from the Felton Institute, the Arc of San Francisco, Rebuilding Together San Francisco, Tool Works, uh, San Francisco Village, Lighthouse for the Blind, the Independent Living Resource Center, and also the Golden Gate Regional Center. So these are some of the ongoing topics that the group is addressing right now. And I'm just going to touch on a little bit of the specifics for each bullet point. So when we're talking about GIS and mapping of resources, what we're looking at is mapping maybe the healthcare facilities where our dialysis centers are and also where our shelters are. The Lighthouse for the Blind offers the service of where individuals can get tactile maps. So we wanna make sure that individuals that are blind or have low vision or any sort of vision impairment, Know where those shelters are so that if need be, they can go and get a tactile map created, which will give them the outline of the blocks uh, in proximity to where that shelter is. The other thing we're talking, uh, increasing our agency outreach protocol. And a lot of that is just us knowing what our partners are doing when it comes to outreach. We work very closely with public health, and they have this wonderful critical partner list that they share information on. So it's helpful for us to know what resources they're reaching out to so that we're not duplicating efforts. Uh, Public messaging, um, we had our meeting in January focused on alert and warnings and a lot of the public messaging challenges maybe when it comes to engaging our most at-risk population and how do we get that message to them, the seniors that might not have the smartphones, our street population, so that's a big item for us And one of the things we're working with the Department of Elections is we're going to be able to put our alert SF information in the voter information pamphlets that will be mailed to all uh, registered voters for this uh, upcoming summer session. So, And we'll make sure that that's in multiple languages also. The transportation inventory. This is for accessible transportation. It's not necessarily focused on what the city has, but it's more what our community partners have available to them. So in case we need to reach out to assistant living facilities, nursing facilities, how much accessible transportation is available. And also we're keeping a close eye. Recently, Uber and Lyft both were challenged in court for not providing accessible transportation in the Bay Area. So we're staying on top of that and seeing what those results are. Our shelter, pets, and accessibility. We wanna make sure that our shelter workers and when we're in there, they understand the difference between companion animals and also comfort animals and then pets, so we're working closely in that area to make sure there's a a clear understanding. The other thing in regards to shelters, and it's something new for us, is we're engaging uh, the domestic violence shelters and finding out in a disaster what are the unique needs that individuals that are victims of domestic violence need if we have to move them from that shelter into a general emergency shelter, and what sort of extra additional security they need. Are they comfortable disclosing that they might need additional security? So we wanna be very sensitive to that, and we're working with the DA's Victim Services Office on that. And then last is our health facilities and emergency preparedness. So again, uh, DPH has a lead on a lot of this and we're there to support them as they implement any sort of emergency preparedness uh, findings or uh, providing evacuation plans that might be needed for some of the facilities. We noticed during with our heat wave that we had back in September that it was very important that we maintain those relationships and connections to know what the health facilities was able to do for their population that they had on site. And I guess the other thing that I kind of just wanted to mention is because of this work group, we are gaining a little more visibility with some of these organizations, and we're being asked to present and provide specific emergency preparedness training to a lot of these populations. So we're going to be engaging with the California Coalition for the Blind and providing presentation to them. And then this slide here that we have, this was from last Friday's meeting. We recently engaged with... DeCara, which is a deaf advocacy group. They were very involved with the North Bay fires. They provided ASL videos to put on the website to show people how to, what they needed to do once they got to a shelter, evacuation, uh, and fire preparedness. So this is Susan Gonzalez, who's one of the lawyers for the agency. So she came and spoke to the group uh, last Friday. Very informative. We learned a lot about the deaf culture and just to be, uh, to be aware of what the unique challenges are for them during an emergency.
2: All right, thank you, Lisa. And then next, uh, Jill Raycroft, our uh, Senior Exercise Planner, is gonna give us a report out about some of the recent exercises and upcoming exercises.
4: Great, thank you, Mike. Um, Good morning, everyone. Uh, My presentation includes a lot of photos because a lot of the work that we do in the exercise realm is pretty exciting. So this is the 2017 San Francisco Fleet Week exercise. This is an exercise that really tests San Francisco's ability to receive mutual aid from the Department of Defense. As we know in that catastrophic earthquake scenario, we're going to need a lot of help. And definitely within the first 96 hours, we're kind of on our own, but our partners from the Department of Defense down in San Diego will be coming up to help us. Uh, This exercise specifically looked at ESF-8, our health and medical system. So what we did is we loaded US Marine Corps trucks from the Navy ship onto this landing craft utility. It landed out near Pier 50, um, and then the trucks rolled off. This was on a Sunday. On Sunday night and very early into Monday morning, the US Marine Corps started setting up tents that would be medical facilities in the event of a catastrophic emergency. We also had a great partnership with our state of California partners that do ESF-8, as well as our own public health, and we definitely wanna thank Navina and her group for supporting this effort. And interestingly enough, this is right outside of General Hospital, so this was a great opportunity for us to have folks working in the emergency department come out, look at the tents, and in turn, we could send in our U.S. Marine Corps and California State representatives into the hospital to look at how we do day-to-day operations in such a busy trauma facility. The next exercise we did, this was about three weeks later. This is Vigilant Guardian. It's a full-scale exercise. This was sponsored partially by the Bay Area Urban Area Security Initiative, the Bay Area UWASI. We work closely with the Federal Department of Energy. Those are the folks that are going to really help us should we have a radiological or nuclear attack. Uh, This isn't a type of exercise that no one in the US has done because this is a consequence management exercise. There's a lot of exercising around rad nuke on the left of boom. On that preventative side but very few jurisdictions in the u.s have done right of boom so we had a lot of excitement about this you can see this helicopter down at the bottom Anne and i were fortunate enough to be out there to see it land so this helicopter is a doe department of energy asset that will be flying should we have a radiological nuclear attack and this helicopter can take uh aerial imaging that will tell us where the plume is or where the disaster scenario is moving. Down here, we have a turned over bus. This has been in a great partnership with the UASI. Um, and our fire department was the biggest partner on this because the consequence management. Our hazmatiers went in very quickly and efficiently to pull folks out of the wreckage. And I'm going to turn it back to Mike to talk about Epicenter. I would just say in closing all of our exercises, we're always learning about how we can better coordinate, how we can better receive mutual aid, how we can communicate better. And As we move into 2018, we're really looking at fuel as we know that that is the biggest interdependency in our lifeline communities. We're also going to be looking at evacuation as well as survivor movement. How do we move 250,000 people out of the city in the event they need to go back to their homes in the East Bay, North Bay, South Bay, and how do we move our 30,000 disaster service workers in? So we're doing a lot of exercises around that right now.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Jill. And then obviously upcoming, uh, we've got Yellow Command and Fleet Week, and both of those will feature in the fall uh, sheltering operations. So... For Epicenter, I'm going to turn it over to our incredible partner, John McKnight, at the Salvation Army. Uh, you know, a lot of people across the country talk about a whole community planning, what that means for emergency management. But I'm, I'm very pleased that here we've got such incredible partnerships with the VOAD and with John, Salvation Army, and the Red Cross. So, John, do you want to talk about Epicenter?
5: Thank you. For those of you who may have attended last year, you know what we're able to create is a very high-profile, engaging conference it's bringing in top level speakers from around the country and locally who will be speaking about real life responses to emergency management the a lot of the focus this year is what we're calling whole community we realize that though in the first few hours and days of a disaster we're going to be focused mostly on our emergency management capabilities and yet after that the long term recovery rests along the side of our nonprofit community partners that we spend some time with and we need to make sure that we integrate these responses across all fields. The epicenter this year will be a two-day conference out at the Presidio. We're looking for about 200 attendees. And if you're able to attend, and I want to encourage everybody here to take a real serious look at those two dates. And if you can possibly make it, email Mike. That's how you register. Just email him, he'll send you the, co- everyone just, when you leave here, email him, or do it right now while you're listening to someone with great attention. Our focus is to get people working together. This won't be a sit-and-listen conference. There'll be plenty of time for that. Our speakers will be doing short TED Talks. Our other panels will be meeting up the side and talking about North Bay Fire Response, focusing on some of the emergency support functions but bringing you real-world experiences. And in between, we're going to be having you work together. My goal is to have everybody in that room find new people, build those relationships, because we know that when we respond to disasters, we learn this up in Santa Rosa, you walk into the room and you recognize the people there, things start happening. And that's our goal. I really hope you'll make the time to attend. And, Mike, thank you for the time.
2: Yeah, thank you, John. And then next, we'd like to uh, give you an update on emergency response, and we'd like to focus the next 10 minutes on you know, our overwhelming response to help our neighbors to the north during the wine country fires. Um, overall, we had a 1,000 um, you know members of the city family that went up during with mutual aid and that's one of the other components that you'll hear me preach a, a lot about I, I'm sure our, my staff gets tired of me talking about mutual aid but I think this short video that was taken by the Berkeley Fire Department is of a strike team that went uh, one of the members of the strike team is here so uh, you know if uh, you want to add anything while this short video plays and we're just going to play a couple minutes of it um, and why Kristen is queuing it up, there was a recent report that was issued by Cal OES about alert and warning. I think my, my argument would be communication, alert and warning is all tied to situational awareness. And that's why we're spending so much time trying to figure out you know, what to be able to predict the extent of damage after a catastrophic event and what that means to our neighborhoods. <laughs> so we have better situational awareness so we can actually communicate better. But this will give you a sense of the of the challenges they faced yeah. up there. Uh, sure is
0: yeah.
2: Hey, Jude, feel free to add in. We live this. Uh, okay. <coughs> uh, so
6: I'm, my name's Pop pa, uh, Pablo Seguenza, captain. Captain. Fifteen. So. <laughs> Is it okay? Okay. Captain Pablo Seguenza, engine 15. I was the strike team leader with this particular strike team. uh, Four San Francisco fire engines and one Berkeley fire engine. This was the Berkeley fire engine that uh, shot this video. There was some transition the first 24 hours. We took um, the majority of our team swapped out. So this was the team that was there the first 24, then they went home. So the rest of the time that I spent up there was with a different crew. But this was unbeknownst to me, they were taking us uh, on our way up from San Francisco uh, to Santa Rosa as we went into this is a coffee park neighborhood. Um, and this is actually it's a good video in that it's really uh, tells the tells the story of what we encountered um, blocks and blocks of uh, devastation uh, in this particular neighborhood and in Fountain Grove neighborhood as well. Um, for us, typically a mutual aid response from San Francisco is a wildland. Uh Response typically um, a wildland, so um, uh, could be out in the forest. It could be in a what they call a wildland urban interface. So there's mixed homes, uh, building structures in and amongst what we call the wildland, um, more of a rural area. So it's unusual for us to see a, uh, a neighborhood in a town in a city um, on fire. So that that right there was. Uh, was challenging for us but as you can see um, it's, it's similar in that you just have to find a safe place to engage for the team for myself for everybody involved we have to find a place that allows us to engage safely and where that's the wildland uh, environment when you're out and it's mostly wooded or you're on a street um, the street provides or a uh, concrete street provides something a little bit different um, there's hydrants and there was some water uh, which is helpful Um, but just it's the same kind of concept just unusual for us to see multiple multiple uh, blocks on fire and not knowing exactly um, the extent of the devastation as you can see we got there at night uh, early early in the morning shortly as the sun came up we got to uh, the winds died down we were able to experience uh, see a little bit better uh, what in in fact was involved so that's all I have to say about that Um, it's just with the crew that we had everybody performed uh over and above in a situation that we've never been in before
2: yeah well thank you and just uh, one of the things that struck me about those reports was you know the staging area that you were assigned to by the time you got there was actually yeah, engulfed in flames so some of the i mean the fire was moving it uh was recorded at 79 miles an hour wind speed you know that evening of this fire so it, it kind of speaks to the challenge of the situational awareness and being able to tell the public where to evacuate safely. Uh, But can you share some of the other lessons learned from the fire department's perspective?
7: Sure, thank you, Mike. Uh, Mike Cochran, Assistant Deputy Chief, uh, Homeland Security, San Francisco Fire. Kind of plays into our mutual aid system, which has been in place for the state. Uh, They requested resources, and that goes to the Chief of Department, and she uh, two strike teams and an ambulance strike team, which is very rare, And these wildland fires. So we were able to send those resources and get this thing moving. And uh, there was valiant efforts. Pablo, I'm not sure you're saying it enough. They did a great job, both humanitarian and uh, firefighting. And uh, so that package does work. Sometimes it takes a while, and they're still recovering. But uh, we are
2: in the system, and it it works well. All right, well, thank you. And then uh, Chief Ali from
8: Police Department. Sure, good morning. Uh, Mikhail Ali, uh, Deputy Chief Special Operations for the Police Department. Um, This was the largest mutual aid request that the Police Department answered in uh, some 25 years. Uh, So when we received the phone call at about 5 a.m., the morning of October 8th, uh, we had to utilize on-duty resources. And so we were able to, from the entire uh, department, uh, identify about 30 officers and send them up uh, for support of local law enforcement. Turned out that we were the first outside agency to actually uh, respond. Uh, from that initial uh, deployment, uh, clearly the use of on-duty resources were not, uh, are not sustainable, so we had to use off-duty uh, resources. We were able to quickly uh, identify volunteers, uh, and so the course of that two weeks, we on, our, on average uh, sent between 50 and 60 officers up each day for 12-hour shifts. Um, We had to spin up our department's operations center, which is the uh, centralized uh, coordination and communication uh, center for the department. That remained um, in full steam. We utilized uh, additional personnel uh, in terms of support for that entire two-week period of time. we were lucky enough that we uh, had the uh, requisite uh, safety equipment in terms of the N95 uh, mass that we were we had them on hand, and so we were able to deploy uh, in abundance. Uh, some of the challenges that we experienced were that of communications. Our radio system does not work in Sonoma County, um, and we have the mechanism by which one of our uh, command vans uh, acts as a repeater so that uh, we can utilize our own radio systems. And fortunately, uh, at the time, our command van was in, in, the, in the shop getting repaired. So clearly we realized the need for some redundancy in that regard, so that is being rectified. Um, interesting enough, worst case scenarios, we end up using Everbridge as a way of communicating uh, information to the officers in the field when all other means were not available. Um, One of, the, one of the challenges is when you have something of this nature, when you have life and limb at risk, you have people who really lead from the heart and they, they want to serve, and so you have this deluge of people who want to either self-deploy or otherwise, and so it's a matter of managing that in a very critical way. We have members uh, of the city's family who live uh, in Sonoma County, and so in some instances, they wanted to self-deploy, so we, what we initially did was not allowed that because we wanted to make certain that they had the requisite safety equipment, it would work properly, in the whole nine. Uh, once we then identified that those persons uh, were capable and had the equipment and they uh, were in the area, instead of them coming back to the city and deploying, um, they simply deployed from their residence. in some cases. Uh, some of the lessons learned were, were, there were actually a number of lessons learned. Uh, those 12-hour shifts actually ended up becoming 16 and 20 hour shifts. And so with that said, uh, you have members driving from San Francisco, going into the area, and then driving back after a long working shift. Uh, it's not very safe. And so uh, in the course of this process, we, we had to adapt. We ended up leaving uh, police vehicles that we had, um, uh, vehicles that we would normally use for training in our academy. We took those vehicles and actually brought them there and left them. And then we began busing uh, through with vans uh, members up to the area so that once they completed their shifts, they weren't driving back uh, in- incredibly tired and-, and thus jeopardizing themselves and others. So um, the biggest, one of the biggest issues, 25 years, no historical um, you know, knowledge on responding to something of this magnitude. So we had to have playbooks and we had to have adaptability. And uh, the biggest thing is, allowing people who are in those positions to make decisions to actually make those decisions and, uh, you know, um, and live with them uh, and adjust, you know, uh, after you have a period of of reflection. Um, But for the most part, um, the feedback we received from our law enforcement partners were were incredibly positive. Uh, When I went up and actually saw the scene, uh, it was a not only a matter of providing law enforcement services, but actually providing uh, some level of relief. In many instances, uh, members of the community would approach our officers and simply uh, to do well-being checks, if you will, on their residents. And so we end up taking on that role of uh, kind of really a community support, uh, and as well as dealing with the issues of looting and other criminal conduct that uh, go hand-in-hand with these nat- national uh, natural disasters. Uh, but by and large, um, I think our response was uh, uh, incredibly um, um, good, um, and we learned some lessons, like in terms of communications as well as uh, deployment strategies. Uh, and we're just we're thankful that we were able to support the community in Sonoma and uh, make their recovery efforts that much better.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Chief. And then uh, from the Sheriff's Department.
9: Good morning, my name is Kathy Johnson, I'm here for Sheriff Hennessy. We received a call early morning on October 9th from the Region 2 Coordinator, which is Alameda County, a request for mutual aid, so we immediately began planning. During the duration, we executed 21 operational periods, and for us, each operational period was 16 hours. The reason we did that is we included travel time to avoid uh, fatigue of our staff each operational period had eight staff assigned so for 16 um, hours eight deputy sheriffs were assigned with four patrol vehicles Um, they primarily provided force protection traffic control access civilian escort they did evacuations and life-saving measures our staff were primarily focused in four areas they spent much of their time in santa rosa glen ellen geyserville and windsor Um, Similar to the police department, we also had staff who wanted to self-deploy. Many of our employees live in the North Bay, live in Petaluma and Santa Rosa, so many of them were personally affected by the (coughs) past tragedy, and they wanted to offer help and assistance to their neighbors and their friends, so it was very difficult on a personal level and on a human level for many of our employees. Um, We did not allow staff to self-deploy. We asked that they provide their information, and we made assignments to make sure they were taken care of. Um, We employed incident command principles, and that was very effective for what we did. This was a very long um, deployment for us. We didn't deploy as many as the police department did. Um, Difficulties, we also had difficulties with communication. So it was very difficult to communicate. Our radio system does not communicate with the North Bay. Uh, What our staff received was a packet. So once they got to their locations and they checked in, they actually received radios, and they were able to communicate on the Sonoma County frequency with the use of their radios. so that was difficult, um, but it, there was a, a, a resolution to it. Um, this was a very trying time for us because of our staff and our c- connection to the community. So we were also grateful that we were able to help members of the North Bay. Thank you. All right, well, thank
2: you. And I, um, Anybody else wants to talk about their experience with their staff and, and just thanks again to Ann and Jason for being so supportive and letting us respond.
10: It, it, I have a question. Um, First of all, I think I can say on probably behalf of the 800 plus thousand San Franciscans how grateful for and proud of the work that all of our responders, I know there were other agencies as well, did in deploying up there. Um, it's just I think a great showing for San Francisco and, and Berkeley and all the other cities that responded. The, the, and, and no doubt when something happens here and it will happen here, we're gonna need help likewise from folks elsewhere in the state and elsewhere in the country so my question is re- reading some of the coverage after the fact, um, it seemed that the mutual assistance program at the state level didn't function as ideally as we would hope it would. Um, so I- I'm wondering, and this is probably you know particularly from the fire suppression side, but even more generally, you know what are, are have there been follow- up conversations with the state are, should should we should we not be concerned based on what we read in the newspaper? Um, it just it wasn't very reassuring that the, the level of mutual assistance required wasn't nearly uh, wasn't nearly met.
2: Yeah, it's um, something we're paying particularly close attention to because obviously, I mean, we're not only going to need USAR teams, we're going to need fire suppression teams after a catastrophic event here. Um, there there is a pretty healthy conversation going on in the legislature right now to what extent they should augment uh, the mutual aid system whether it's through Cal fire or through a grant program to you know to beef up the, the mutual aid system <coughs> and that would go through Cal OES to strengthen the, the mutual aid resources because you know as I think you know that state traditionally funds engines but then the locals have to staff those engines on a regular basis you know d- during the during the day, but I, or during peacetime when they're not called upon for mutual aid assistance. But do you want to add anything from the fire department's perspective? And, and the, the amount they're talking to is an augmentation of 100 to $200 million.
7: So, uh, Mike Cochrane, I think what they're seeing is the places where people used to vacation are now occupied. So, there's larger fires, there are sometimes off season, <coughs> or they'll hire seasonal firefighters and then release. And so, the just ahead of us a little bit, and they're just trying to catch up for these catastrophic things that are coming more often. So they're asking for more personnel. And that's basically what we need for, because everybody has now gone into the, like the captain said, urban
2: interface. So that's why they think they're being more destructive. Yeah, and it's I mean concerning because the mutual aid system I mean historically in California was designed if you had a major event in Southern California and Northern California you would have enough fire suppression, you know resources in the mutual aid system to respond to both events and you know we had one overwhelming event in Northern California that that really spread those resources thin, thin across the state so so I mean we're hopeful that it gets augmented.
0: Are there any other report outs from the fire? I know we have our um, chief information officer here, Linda, and you gave GIS support, maybe not you personally, but your staff. Um, I know we sent up a number of building inspectors. My own staff went up and managed the Emergency Operations Center in Santa Rosa and also Santa no- Sonoma County. Um, so the city, as Mike said, had over a thousand people go up to um, to help in the response efforts. And I think it was, you know i I view anything like this as a good experience for us because we knock on wood, have not had as many. Uh, horrible disasters here in San Francisco itself. So it's a learning experience for us when we go and we help our neighbors, but also we are going to be relying on the support of our neighbors when the big one hits here. So uh, Linda, is there anything you would like to add? Um,
11: So I think what was interesting for me, uh, I've been working emergency management situations for a number of years it was the first time I saw an organization um, not have their staff so what was interesting uh, these are small cities and their staff were very busy trying to help their families and I don't want to say completely abandoned but could not be available to do the work that needed to be done especially on the mapping side which was proving to be so critical as people were trying to understand where evacuation should take place. So the fact that mutual aid was there, they knew there was connection between um, the GIS people in Santa Rosa and San Francisco, and everybody knew everybody else just because it's a small world, and we're able to support them, I think was um, helpful. And I think what's also important that we need to remember, especially in our information systems, is that people we can support people really around the world Um, honestly we can print a map from here in san francisco and have it come out over in santa rosa so sometimes we think that we have to move people on the ground Um, i'd like to have us work towards what can we provide remotely and and that is not only for us helping someone else but us helping ourselves so the fact that we're able to and you are able to (laughs) access our information systems remotely um, whether it's um, our financial systems or or just access to the network this is actually a key strength and a resiliency point for us so uh... continuity of operation can continue from from any point in the city or or out of the city so that's something that we're going to be working even more closely on and trying to make sure that everybody understands how to do that so that uh you can continue your operations from any point.
2: Thanks, anybody else wanna share on uh, mutual aid? Elaine.
12: Thank you, Elaine Forbes from the Port of San Francisco and I wanted to reiterate, Uh, something Director Cronenberg said, and it's really about the learning experience that we can bring back. Um, I had a staffer who is an emergency planner for the port, and she deployed to Santa Rosa and was a co-manager of the EOC. And one of the things, two of the things that she came back with that I think are good lessons for us, one was about the IT technology and just how paper-based the response was. I mean, reams of paper and sort of whiteboarding and prioritizing without uh, any, any real computer-based. And she said, despite that, everyone was uh, really incredibly good at uh, putting first things first. But it did seem that the technology, maybe mobile technologies or handheld apps that we could have to avoid a paper-based response is, is critical. And the other thing she reported was just the incredible fatigue. Just these 20 hour shifts, these 15 hour shifts that we're hearing about, and just how absolutely fatigued everyone was in the command post. Um, But despite that, just how um, excellently the response was managed. So, those are our two pieces of learning that I heard from my staff who was deployed. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Anyone else? Michael.
13: just wanted to say uh, from the perspective of the San Francisco Interfaith Council, uh, because communities of faith also provide shelter spaces and and volunteers, um, we found that we were working with our partners with the Red Cross and Salvation Army and VOAD and Anne uh, in making introductions to our counterparts in Sonoma County as well as Marin because the evacuees were were presenting themselves in Marin County, and so, uh, what We're looking forward to, and we also, uh, once the neighborhood started to be uh, repopulated, uh, once everything was safe, we were sending pastoral care teams up to, uh, to, to assist uh, those folk who were repopulating there. Uh, in addition, uh, we did open up clean air stations here uh, in a couple of our congregations, uh, because the ash, as you remember, was coming here to San Francisco as well. Uh, we're planning to do a debrief. With DEM, Red Cross, Salvation Army, and VoAD, just to talk about the response of the faith community, and there's a great deal of interest from uh, my counterparts in all the neighboring counties to do that. And uh, I think that uh, we learned a lot about the regional nature of uh, of response as as communities of faith.
2: Great, thank
14: you, Trevor. Yeah, from the uh, Red Cross perspective, a couple of lessons learned that were interesting. Uh, I think a lot of times we we think about all the resources we have to send in. Uh, This was one where we had resources at hand that we didn't plan for. So uh, one of the first, we had two major hospitals that evacuated to our shelters, which is not typical. We're typically not absorbing major hospitals into our shelter populations. We had over 600 doctors and nurses from around the Bay Area that came to those shelters over about a two-week period, a majority of those from San Francisco. Uh, Many of them self-deployed. Uh, You know, we had surgeons, we had nurses that showed up, uh, showed their credentials to nurse that could make sure they were legitimate and then we we plugged them in. We had running hospice rooms uh, full time for about five days in those shelters with really critical care patients, which really unusual, but to have the resources come up from the city was tremendous. The other side was our volunteer base. So when the fires broke out, we had over 300 volunteers in the Bay Area deployed to Texas, Florida, and Puerto Rico. So our team was smaller when this started. We had over 18,000 people sign up to be a volunteer in the first month of the fires. 9,000 in the first two days. And the majority of those were from San Francisco. And so we ended up the next you know, several weeks trying to figure out how do you plug in that many people into the workforce, uh, get them trained quickly. We ran boot camps at, San, at Santa Rosa Junior College. Uh, we were training people every day and plugging them in. But I think that's, it's a good signal for us, I think, in San Francisco on kind of planning for that, that volume of people that want to help, and then how do we put them into play really quickly instead of waiting for somebody to come from the outside, we can put our neighbors to work really fast.
2: Absolutely. Thanks. All right. Anyone else on that? Well, uh, Brian, you were uh, gracious enough to go up uh, with Ann and myself uh, shortly after during the recovery phase, so I think it's a good transition to recovery now. (laughs)
15: Great, good morning everyone. Brian Strong, I'm the uh, Chief Resilience Officer and the Director of the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning for the city and county of San Francisco. Um, It's pretty heavy, pretty heavy meeting, a lot of heavy stuff. We're gonna have to like bring, I don't know, refreshments or something or (laughs) (laughs) keep the energy up. Uh, Anyway, I'm also feeling it a little bit. I'd be remiss not to say I was in Mexico City for the past uh, seven days and uh, it was, I was there with nine other cities that experienced earthquakes, and this was sponsored by the city of Mexico City, which is looking for support and assistance and guidance, uh, and, and it was also supported through the uh, Rockefeller Foundation, the 100 Resilient Cities, and you know, the, the theme was building seismic resilience, preparedness, response, and recovery, and it's remarkable um, how many issues that you have in a city of nine million people that mimic the issues that we have here that what you see in Santa Rosa uh, and they're they're really struggling with a lot of the same issues that we talked about Ed with how you get people to different locations or how how you do mutual aid and and how long people are going to be in recovery and how you know how well neighbors know each other and so forth and in fact we did an agreement where we're going to continue to work with the, the mayor the city of Mexico City and uh, Los Angeles around community um, support and um, <laughs> building community, uh, capacity building in communities and, um, and en- enhancing resilience. So anyway, very, very moving. Um, but I do think, as others have mentioned, the opportunity to go and experience these things firsthand is, is really important to learning. And um, we, the Deputy City Administrator, Jennifer Johnston, came with me as well, and uh, we really got a lot out of it. So from our office, you know we put out the um, resilient SF plan stronger today, stronger tomorrow. This came out in 2016, April of 2016. Um, that plan you know lays out sort of four specific strategies around preparing for tomorrow, mitigate, retrofit and adapt, ensure housing, empower neighborhoods. Uh, so those are covered in this in the report that you received and I was just going to go over, shortly, three of the different um, initiatives uh, amongst many that we're working on. Um, the first is the Lifelines Council, and you can see on the slide here. Um, we've had two, we, we, the Lifelines Council, as Jason mentioned early on and Ann followed up, was, was uh, something that Mayor Lee started Uh, after some of his experiences in New Orleans. We really started to kick it off in 2010, 2009. We created an interdependency report. Many of you were involved in that. The recommendations in there really led to the effort um, that that Elaine and the port is leading around the seawall because it's so critical to so many different aspects of of San Francisco, um, uh, of San Franciscans, and actually of the Bay Area as well. It really has a regional uh, and statewide impact. So the Lifelines project, we, um, we've formalized the committee more and for those of you who are not uh, familiar, this is a committee that gets together quarterly and it includes utility providers. Uh, it includes, so there there, pg PG&E, our communications utilities, our Public Utilities Commission uh, come as well. It includes Department of Technology and other communication providers, including Comcast and AT&T. Uh, it also includes some of the, the larger transportation Um, providers around the area, including the MTA, Golden Gate Bridge District, BART, uh, and some of those folks that we have come together and talk about how we can improve lifelines. The, The project that we've been working on, and I will pass these out, I only brought two copies, but you can at least just get a glance at it and look at it, is called the uh, restoration timelines project. This was really critical to, um, to Mayor Lee and <clears throat> something that we'd been working on for some time and it's really how can we better, um, how, how can we understand how long it's gonna take to get our lifelines back up and running and how are they related to each other and understanding that certainly w- we saw um, in Mexico City but in Santa Rosa and, and in other places that you know water and power are critical um, those sort of seem to be the first two things out of the chute, and then everything sort of comes from those. So that that um, that's where we're focusing our efforts. We're looking, and then we will be going through all the different 14 lifelines um, that, that relate to San Francisco. So we're looking at a 7.9 earthquake, as well as a 7.0 earthquake on the Hayward Fault. The 7.9 would be the San Andreas Fault. And the uh, the idea is that we're going to be doing you, we're we're going to be using um, research that's been sort of well looked at in um, up in British Columbia and other places around how we can comfortably identify where people are in their recovery um, efforts. How long will it take, pg and What's the level of standard that they have? for after a major disaster, when electricity will be coming back on, or when major power substations will be coming back on. And we had presentations from the, um, we had presentations from the, the, recently from the Public Utilities Commission, because we've established a number of level of service standards uh, for our water system, and how, what our expectations there around after a major earthquake, how, you know, how much water will we have, how will our reservoirs perform we 've also done the same with our auxiliary water supply system uh, in conjunction with the fire department. what are the expectations around how much water will be available in different parts of the city uh, and finally we're also doing a lot of work um, you know the, the idea is to understand the gaps you know where people where we want people to be where they are now, and then the gaps that come from it we're going to be looking at you know fuel exercises uh, and working with Jill and the DEM team. To sort of exp- to test those things, to test what we're learning from different people, uh, and we also heard from the. Ca- I should mention, you know, fuel is such a major issue. We also heard from the California um, Energy Commission uh, from some of their experts on how the region will perform from a fuel perspective. Um, we also heard from Elaine and some of her staff around how the region uh, will perform from from the perspective of the ports and how long will it take the ports to get up and running after a major event. So. The other thing um, that we're working on, and I think we have the slide up there, uh, no, the w- previous one on the disaster recovery framework, uh, as we know, recovery needs to happen quickly, and uh, we've <clears throat> we, have, we, we wanna get legislation processes in place before the event happens. Um, There's a recovery commission in Mexico City. We know that in Santa Rosa, the perfect example is that uh, a recovery framework was actually begun without really the city's uh, initiative or the county's initiative. So we know that if we don't have this framework in place, there's potential that other people will step in and start doing work and we wanna make sure that uh, that we understand what's going to happen and we're able to help establish the priorities. So that work is going on uh and we've had two meetings with a number of different departments and i'm happy to engage with any of you if you if you would like to participate uh, you can see recovery the, the slide here just sort of shows the the federal framework and how you have short term you know the the response is short term but the recovery is that sort of longer tail with the longer tail that sort of picks up toward the end uh, and that's that's again i think it's a an issue that's going to be discussed about at the epicenter we talked about it last time uh, it's something that we think uh, that's actually been identified in our public safety element. Uh, it's identified in our resilient SF plan. It's something that we really want to we want to get done in the next year. Finally, the last thing I, I'll mention is that we did a you know on the community uh, building side a, a program that we had was the neighbor fest. Uh, there are 32 <coughs> different neighbor fests uh, around the city. Uh, Some of these, uh, many of them were small, around 100 guests, but there are a few of them, I think there were five of them that had over 400 guests attending. Some of the biggest ones were in the Bayview and some of the the more distressed areas of our city. Uh, We had over 3,000 people attend. And at those events, I think a lot of you were involved, (coughs) including the Salvation Army, certainly the Fire Department, um, PG&E, and other folks where we did education, (coughs) excuse me, uh, NERT recruitment, bookmobiles, um, you know, stuff around disaster preparedness, food, music. Uh, the other idea is that most neighbors don't know each other and we know that's one of the biggest challenges that we have, we have a more transitional population and people don't know who who's living next door. So this is a real great way to connect. Um, and finally, I'll mention this next slide, uh, which is uh, the City Resilience Index. We are one of 10 cities selected and the, the, again, this is sort of, through rockefeller and working with arup to develop a set of indicators for how we're doing with respect to resilience Uh, it includes uh, the first step is to answer i think 171 qualitative questions and 171 quantitative questions uh, about your city everything about uh, employment rates to you know how how often do you talk with communities uh, and we're, the idea is that you, we're doing this and we are gonna have some measures and it's gonna be a way that we can look at where we have strengths and weaknesses and look at, also look at how we compare to other jurisdictions. How do we compare to Los Angeles, for instance, that's doing something similar, or to Oakland or to other places. Uh, and you know, the, the way that we wanna use this, and it'll take three to six months at least to develop, uh, but it's to help guide our ability, you know, where we prioritize resources and efforts. And we know that there's so many different things going on. Um, The idea that we can guide, that we have tools to know where we're going and that we have outcomes to know whether we achieve them is really important. So with that, thank you very much. I'm happy to answer any questions after the meeting. I'm getting the sense that we're going short on time. So thank you.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Brian.
15: Actually, I think we're perfect on time. Um, Are there
0: any questions for Brian? Okay. Um, I told you I'd get us out of here in an hour. So is there any um, announcements from Disaster Council members? Announcements, questions, anything? Is there any public comment? Um, Seeing none, I would like to just encourage our department heads who are here to work very closely with your disaster preparedness coordinators. We meet monthly with them. Mike and I and the team have been going out to our large departments, and we're about halfway there right now, just touching base with with all of you, um, seeing whether or not we're providing the kind of service and support that you need. And so we will continue to do that. And please come to Epicenter. Last year was fantastic and I have no doubt that it will be again this year. So um, spread the word and thank you again, all of you, for everything you do every single day to keep San Francisco safe. Thank you. We'll see you in June.